Welcome to Watch Party Gaming. That's right. We finally came up with a name. It's Watch Party Gaming. <laughs> a little more excitement than that. Yay! Yay! <laughs> hey, we actually got to sign off from the man Wahoo. himself, so that's good. Yes, Neil Gaiman himself gave us the okay to use Watch Party Gaming. So thank you, Neil. We, we hope you're a listener. Any lack of enthusiasm was not for lack of excitement about the show. It's just we've known for a while. Uh, so <laughs> people listening are hearing for the first time, but I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know. Cool. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm supposed to pretend like the first time I'm hearing it. <laughs> anyway, I am your host, soon to be former host, Ruark. Uh, <gasps> that's that's right. Um, now you're going to scare people, I, former host for this show. For for this show, not for not for well, not for Wheel of Time. I'm still gonna host Wheel of Time. I just I don't want to have to deal with with us all of the podcasts. Yeah, that's so. I'm handing this one off, and uh, so I'm gonna hand you off to our brand new host for the Game and Podcast. It's Siobhan. Woohoo! Yay! Yeah, Welcome. I uh, this is my first time hosting, so I am relying heavily on my editor to make me sound good. <laughs> Just so you know. <laughs> no problem. And uh, who is that new editor? Introduce yourself, Greg. Hi, <laughs> I'm Greg. I'm going to edit edit out that uh, frog in my throat. Uh, hi, I'm Greg. I'm a longtime panelist with the Wheel of Time Watch Party Wheel of Time. And uh, taking over editing duties from Rourke, who deserves a break. Rourke deserves oh, yes. to have to just be a panelist. Yes. yes. And I'm going to enjoy just panelizing on this one. Panelizing, penalizing, panelizing. <laughs> Probably going to be painful for whoever has to try to keep me in line. That's that's all I'm going to say. But Consider a lot less cheat chewing. Yes. That's true. This is true. Yes. Less blood in your mouth, you'll be able to speak more fluidly. Well, yeah, just well, say less, less, less of my own blood in my mouth. How about that? <laughs> Wait, I'm, I'm glad I'm recording this remotely then. <laughs> it's going to be one of those podcasts. Hey, this is the show that we talked about eating uh, eyeballs and spitting out the corneas. So, you know. Well, one of the shows we've done. No. One of. Them. Right. You know, this is Neil Gaiman we're talking about. So, yeah. Uh, uh, excuse me, Gaiman. Gaiman, I'm sorry. Yep. Neil Gaiman. The, the man himself gave us his blessing. We should try to pronounce it correctly. Yes, I will Gaiman. be editing that out too. <laughs> <laughs> no, I won't. Yeah, that, that's the fun part of being the editors. You can edit out all your own mistakes and leave everybody else's in. Yeah. Oh, it's weird how yeah. Greg sounds perfect in all of this. <laughs> Put the extra fancy little dancing girls on my voice. Yes. And yeah, re-record you lines you want to. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's funny how yeah, Greg gets all the best jokes. Yeah. All, all the best lines. Okay. <laughs> it's amazing how our memories are going to be uh, just, just wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it is I, Axel, of the opinions. <laughs> Succinct. To the point and accurate. <laughs> Say hello, DW. Hi, everybody. It's DW. Hey. And what do you do, DW? I animated. I am animated. You are a cartoon character. I, I pretty much. Yes. I'm like <laughs> a living embodiment of a cartoon character. 
Um, yeah, I, I love the fact that I can smack you in the head with a frying pan and, and you're just fine the next day. Just little birdies it's, it's, flying It's around. really cathartic, But you know, actually. the thing a lot of people don't think about is when I see something that I'm really excited about and my eyes pop out of my head, they don't show the part that they don't go back in as easily as people think. Oh, no, no. <laughs> I have to I have to come up behind you and put the crank in and crank it back mm-hmm. up. Everybody's about the you left the crank you don't want to know where that crank goes. Yeah. No, oh no, mm-hmm. you do not want to know where the crank goes. Having fun trying to keep it on track, Siobhan? I have given up already. <laughs> I have surrendered to the inevitable. <laughs> well, that seems to fit with the theme of the show we're going to be talking about. Pretty exactly. Much. And what show are we talking about today, Siobhan? Let's talk about Good Omens. Yay! Season one, episode one. We open... In the beginning. ...with the history of the universe. Yes. <laughs> abridged. Yes, quite abridged. <laughs> so, so Neil Gaiman was actually asked once if um, Sandman and Good Omens take place in the same universe. And uh-huh. his answer was, um, Sandman takes place in a universe that's billions of years old. And Good Omens takes place in a universe that's 6,000 years old. So the same. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. And the dinosaurs were an enormous practical joke that nobody has gotten the humor of yet. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I do have to say, opening a, opening a series with televised warning, kids, Armageddon can be dangerous, do not attempt it in your own home, sets the tone about perfectly. Well, come Pretty on, much. you know somebody's going to try. Yeah. You know somebody's going to try. There are people who are actively trying, yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. In real life. Yeah. <laughs> kind of horrifying all in its own. That idea of the joke of the dinosaurs has always been an interesting one. I've actually heard people put forward the argument that in a creation theory that there could be bones that were created already buried. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that seems like a lot of work to be deceiving, but you know, I can't deny the potential possibility. You know, you get up there, you talk to St. Peter, and he's like, why didn't you believe in God? And I'm like, come on, dude, dinosaurs. And he's like, really? <laughs> That's, you that was fell the for deal breaker for you? <laughs> God just did way too good a job of faking um, an evolutionary history of the universe. Mm. <laughs> he, didn't leave enough cl- he didn't leave enough clues and jokes. As Bill Hicks once on, the, put it, doesn't it make you a little uh, unnerved at the point that God may just be fucking with us? Well, come on. The duckbill platypus is a little bit of an obvious giveaway. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She says right in the intro, I play a game of my own devising. Mm-hmm. Francis McDormand. Uh-huh. The voice of God. How how perfect. Yeah, and it's so it's established right from the opening that God is, God is female. Or yes. at least has a female voice. Yes. Yes. Has a feminine stature. Has yes. a feminine pre- presentation. And as friends with the Cohen brothers. Well, I would expect the Cohen brothers to be friends with God. I mean, they're already friends with Satan. True. True. Which is good, John Goodman, if I remember correctly. Yes. Yes. Spartan Fink. That works. It does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I've seen that particular movie, but that would work. Now, one, one other thing about that intro. That intro is is Terry Pratchett. That is hmm. that oh, is yeah. definitely the voice of Terry Pat Pratchett. It seems like th- this this whole show uh, the themes are all are all Gaiman, but the the characters are so Pratchett. Yeah, very much so. 
it's kind of interesting if you're reading the book, you can actually see the the parts. If you know both writers well enough, you can see the parts that they each contributed. Yeah. Yeah, you can definitely you can definitely tell with with some of the the parts. I mean, like the names of the characters. You know, that's so Pratchett. I mean, it's almost, you know, you can see you can see where I'm not sure who influenced who, but Douglas Adams, Terry Pratchett, there's similar sense of uh of, of timing with it that really that really comes through i'm i'm interested in the fact that it seems like uh neil gaiman plus terry pratchett equals douglas adams i yeah 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 yeah. Well, and there's a reason why I'm drawn to these particular authors. Yeah. <laughs> That's my style. Yeah. yeah they, they all have the same dry style for sure. Yeah. Because I, I was definitely first influenced by Douglas Adams. One of the first books I read completely through was Hitchhiker's Guide. Yeah. Yep. And like my sense of humor was was definitely shaped by it. And Monty Python, of course, had their hand mm -hmm. in it. Mm -hmm. But like, <laughs> that absurdism is just a life's blood for me it's delicious oh. mm -hmm. so from the creation of the universe we then go to eden and our two main characters meeting on the wall i just want to bring up in that garden that uh if adam and eve are supposed to be like the the pinnacle of of human perfection they nailed it oh yeah they're very pretty people <laughs> they got very pretty actors very pretty people very very <laughs> Some very, very good-looking uh, ancestors of us all. Yeah, but then you make a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. Yeah, you get us by the end of this. The photocopier always makes it a little bit fuzzier. Right. The ink is running through. low. Yeah. At this point, we humans are a zine. The one thing that did strike me as a bit odd was that, like, the first thing that Adam seems to have done was to have invented the razor. <laughs> no, no, no. Now let's be fair. There are uh, races and people among us that don't grow facial hair and just literally have chiseled chins. Yeah, but also bald. Yes. Yeah, true. I, I can say, despite the the fantastic beard I currently sport, I could not grow facial hair at all until I was over thirty. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There you go. So. Maybe Adam's still new and he's yeah, still, still young. On. Okay. Right. Yeah, and are some solid. of the some of the Native American tribes, don't they have uh less facial hair? Oh yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Some, yeah. So I mean just the difference of humanity, I would definitely having a full beard call having a beard a blight that eventually evolved, you know. But yeah. Mm. Well it's true, it could be a product of us sin. I I I I could go with that. <laughs> Definitely, uh, that's the way I feel about my facial hair. So. Yeah, yeah, I, I can get there got, with you. Women yeah. got labor and men got beards. <laughs> so I think the analogy is sin is the Play-Doh that is being mashed through the shave the guy Play-Doh machine. <laughs> of our face. <laughs> and the okay. sin is yeah. just coming out. <laughs> this is going to be a long episode. <laughs> How's that host been going for you so far, Shabon? Uh, <laughs> I think it's going fantastic. Yeah, I think you're doing great. So anything else to say about the scene in Eden? I really liked the depiction of Crowley as a snake. Yeah. Yes. The, that definitely worked. And, and nice hints to the, the biblical story while still keeping the same vibe of, you know, Gaiman's work. So in the book, that entire conversation they have on the wall, he's a snake the entire time. Mm. Cheaper for effects just to, you know, get some nice yeah. prosthetic yeah. contact it's... lenses. Plus, plus you don't get David Tennant and, and then just 
<laughs> replace them with a snake. It's harder to make a snake speak and yeah, make it yeah. look realistic. Easier to just turn them into a right. uh, a person with enormous black swan wings. <laughs> and also you're paying to have David Tennant like in the role, so you kind of want to put him on screen as much as possible. Yes. Yes. Yeah, especially with Michael Sheen. Like the two of them as as a couple are, I guess, the next generation Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen. Oh. Yes. Now I need to see them do waiting for Godot. They've done I mean, it. I, 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 done I would it. say just from this first scene alone, yeah, you definitely feel that. There's there's a a, a palpable a chemistry. There's, yeah, yeah, yeah. There is something there. When the show came out, uh, Michael Sheen and David Tennant did a lot of interviews about it. And one of the things they said was that that scene was filmed later after they had gotten to know each other. And so they uh, had that kind of personal chemistry because they've become good friends since since they met on this show. Yeah. I'm um, a little surprised they never met <clears throat> just in general circles. Yeah, well, apparently they've been in movies and shows before. That they were they have been in the same shows before, but just never filming at the same time and never like not really interacting. Yeah, directly. if you don't have a scene together, you're the, yeah. Not going to run into each other, yeah. But I also feel like that chemistry being allowed to bubble on this set helped it. Because if you had two people that, you know, we've seen them before, we're used to them interacting with each other, whereas this was, we got to enjoy a new interaction between two people that looked like they belonged together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think it definitely um, added to the show how much they enjoy each other's company. Yes. And you see interviews with them where Michael Sheen is saying, I just decided that Aziraphale loves Crowley, and so my job is to gaze at him lovingly during the entire show. <laughs> Which he definitely did. Yeah, I mean, there's a bit of, he can do what he wants. I'm the good guy who has to just follow orders from heaven and only do good, but kind of want to do bad. I envy this guy. Well, well, he's the goody two-shoes and... and crowley is is the you know guy rolling up on the motorcycle bad boy that yeah represents everything that you're not allowed to touch and and of course that's going to be interesting and you can see that in in Aziraphale's face as soon as crowley shows up he's just come he immediately like oh you're a demon oh you're a demon <laughs> <laughs> oh no he's hot <laughs> <laughs> But it's also a beautiful thing that as they describe how much they're, I mean, I, I, I'm getting at, I'm going to bring up that point when we get to that point in the, in the show, but so. Yeah, I was going to say, I have, there are, there are definitely opinions about their relationship that I think come up, need to come up later. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to say anything there <laughs> other than that. So we have the entire scene kind of sums up the idea that Crowley introduced humanity to the idea of good and evil. Right. But Aziraphale gave them war. Ooh. He gave them the sword. That's a, that's yeah, a great take. The first things you give somebody as a weapon. Yeah. If the only tool you have is a hammer, everything starts to look like a nail. If the yeah. only thing you have is a sword... Supposed hey, that's how I'll solve my problems. It's supposed to be a flaming sword of justice, but then it becomes a tool at that point. It was it was an act of kindness on his part to give them. It's like she's expect 
hunting, <laughs> you know, when it's cold. <laughs> and there's wild animals. And so he gives them this sword. And the very first death is Adam killing a lion with the sword that Aziraphale gave him. And you can see his, like, you you don't actually see the lion die on screen, but you see Aziraphale's face when it happens. And he's like, oh. <laughs> the, uh, the caption for that sound effect of Adam ki- killing the lion is meaty blow. that's perfect so the funny thing is is there's not always the people who are doing subtitles working under the production company that made the film Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of times that like well you, you may notice different subtitles if you watch it on this streaming service versus if you watch it on this channel when it comes out you know, if it's on cable or if, you know, because a lot of them will have their own and some of them will use the one that was offered with the, the thing. Some of them will, them will uh, do their own. Like it's, it's kind of a mixed bag. I personally love watching anime subtitles because often they'll have translated and done a different story in the anime than the subtitles offer. And cause they, they decided that these two people didn't fit the story how they wanted them to. And so they're going to work out you know this storyline that they were trying to do and come up with different dialogue but then the text is literal translation from the japanese so oh well that includes the relationship that they weren't supposed to mention that they were having <laughs> then we get to the opening credits which are gorgeous and that music they are amazing the music. every time i watch it i'm looking in the background for more stuff that's mm-hmm. going on <laughs> All of the characters in the show appear somewhere in the background at some point. Yes. Yes. And it goes from, say, the Garden of Eden to Noah's Ark to the Titanic at one point. <laughs> it's, it's, the Kraken it's, appears. It's lovely. It's lovely. <laughs> yeah. I, I just, and at the very end, they all, I guess, Armageddon happens and everybody goes off the edge of the cliff. Right off a cliff. Yep. Well, yeah, the flat world and everything. It, it kind of feels like a stylized version of uh, uh, Terry Gilliam's mm-hmm. animations. Oh, very, yeah, very reminiscent of Gilliam, uh, but a lot smoother. It almost, yeah. it almost looks like paper cutouts mm-hmm. on a painted background. Yeah, which is a lot of what Gilliam did. Right, That's, he just moved yeah. them like you know four times a second. This this full twenty four <laughs> frame. <laughs> yeah. He also, his art was a lot more exaggerated yes. for purpose. Yeah, right. And this was not doing that. Yeah, well, he also used a lot of, uh, like, things from magazines and, and yes. pre-printed stuff for his cutouts. So, yeah. But even that, he also loved Rubenesque, even with yes, the stuff he cut out. Like, he, he, he definitely had a, 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 type. A, a style. Oh, yeah, I was a type. <laughs> not so much Rubenesque as much as some actual Ruben. Rubens, so yeah, he's. I, I uh, could go for a Reuben. Yeah. yeah. Oh, mm. sauerkraut, corned beef, Russian dressing. Yeah. Sort of oh. around lunchtime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. Or- so good omens. <laughs> <laughs> so back to good omens. <laughs> the next scene takes us to the graveyard, and we see to see two demons coming up through the ground. So demons appear to just travel through the dirt. Yeah. Uh, you know, like you do. Yeah. Well. Unless you're Crowley, in which case you drive a Bentley. Blaring Queen. I mean, he tried crawling up through the dirt right at the beginning and clearly decided that wasn't for him because it messed with the his suit. Oh, and his hair. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it gets yeah. dirt all over your jacket. Yeah. And then, yeah. <laughs> Not good. You don't want to end up looking like Pastor. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Bentley's a lot more fun. You can blare music really loud. 
So, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Although you do get stuck listening to Queen. So the whole thing about Queen, if you've read the book, is any tape left in a car or CD left in a car for more than two weeks turns into Queen's Greatest Hits. <laughs> Which is why everybody who drives has a copy of Queen's Greatest Hits somewhere in their car, even if they've never bought one. <laughs> nice. I like it. That's where that came from. All right. <laughs> there so you go. moving the conversation from Freddie Mercury to Johnny Rotten. <laughs> is, is it just me or does Haster look like John Lydon? Where, where they, I, I, I feel like it. it's, I could see it. It's mm-hmm. almost so much there that it has to be intentional. I, I think. So I, I can only speak to the fact that often costume designers and everything will put up a like dream board, an idea board yeah. of the look. And that board may have just purely been Johnny. Like it might've like, that was the main influence. Yeah. Well, Ned Dennehy, the, who, the actor who plays Haster, has that look. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He, he's like a just, gaunt. Uh, well, just with that that uh, bad straw wig that yeah. he wears to cover his mind toad or whatever the hell's going on. <laughs> what, why Why do all the demons seem to have they, some kind of reptile on their head? What's what? They all have an animal aspect. Oh. Okay. So Beelzebub has flies. Uh, ah. Haster has the toad, um, Ligger, Ligger has the chameleon, has the, and yeah. Crowley has the snake, but in his case, he... It's a his tattoo. Snake, his snake his is the tattoo, but apparently it moves around. Hmm. I, okay. Uh, thank you for clearing that up. Yay. So yeah, they all have an animal aspect. Dagon is some kind of fish with very pointy teeth. I don't know, piranha, maybe. <laughs> Something you don't want to go swimming with. So I, um, the the demons in the uh, in the graveyard did a very good job of being menacing. <laughs> you know, Ligger would give his right arm, well, somebody's right arm. <laughs> there are no, there's no blinking in that scene. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the None. eyes are just mm, they're there. Maybe that's the part that looks like uh, John Lydon because he always when he, whenever you saw him on camera he was always staring with his eyes very very wide open yeah yeah and Haster's got that going on yep with the yeah big I can black see that as well contact lenses so Crowley gets the baby he's uh, not happy about getting the baby <laughs> <laughs> it's one thing to bring about Armageddon it's another thing to actually do it <laughs> I mean nobody said there was a baby involved. Well, I think they, they, the whole Antichrist thing has been written down somewhere, apparently. Yeah, but nobody said anything about a baby. Like, I, I'm all on board with the Armageddon and stuff as well until you hand me a baby. And then I'm like, I don't want anything to do with this thing. <laughs> I don't know if it's so much that he it was a surprise to him. I think it was a surprise to him that he was picked to actually do this task. Uh, you know, he, he's, uh, like he said, he's been fudging reports to the home office for forever. And is it my fault they don't check? i was having fun here and now you're about to mess it all up by ending the world and making me work and babysit yeah (laughs) i think that's one of the things that makes um crowley and um michael sheen's character zero fail zero fail distinct from the rest is that they have been living on earth since the beginning 
like they haven't and they lived... like it there. <laughs> and they, yeah. yeah, they have. They haven't been home, so they're not keeping up on the internal politics of right. what's going on there. They don't, and they don't. They have a. They've gone native. Exactly. Oh, right? very much. So. They're like yeah. ambassadors, you know, or, or you know, who who are living in a foreign country, and after you know 20, 30 years, you're more in tune with the country you're living in than where you come from. And then when head office shows up, you know, and says, all right, time to do something. You're like, but I don't like that because that's like what you guys do. And I'm not you guys anymore. I'm not, you know, Azerafel yeah. isn't really an angel anymore. And Crowley isn't really a demon anymore. Mm. You know, they're punching the clock. They know what, what it's supposed to look like, but they don't feel the same as their, as their peers do. Right. Suddenly, I'm seeing the old Warner Brothers cartoon with the the sheepdog and and the wolf and they're like doing the punch. <laughs> oh yeah, in. checking yeah. in and out. Yeah. <laughs> Morning, <Yeah>. Frank. <laughs> Morning, Ralph. <laughs> time to time to fight. <laughs> yeah. Uh, here we go. And then that brings us to the next scene with Aziraphale in the sushi restaurant, and his boss shows up and is like, "Why are you eating?" Food. <laughs> and John Hamm makes such a great Gabriel. I was going to say, yes. First of all, can we just say how amazing John Hamm is as Gabriel? It's, yes. It's, the you worst really, boss you never want to have. You don't really see it in this scene, but in the scene later where they're 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 having a conference in heaven, his eyes are purple. It's yes. such a nice touch. They they do so much attention with the with the eyes and prosthetics. It 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 really does a, a great service to the characters. He's very he's very dapper and he's like, I love the clothes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, if you look like John Hamm, I mean they've clothes go well on John Hamm. And the only one with an American accent. That stands out, I think, a little bit. That's well, right. It, it, with Gabriel in his position, it makes sense he'd have an American accent because he has to be that pompous. He's like, yeah, he's like the CEO or yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so he's got an American accent because it's more pretentious. Yeah, not to mention the fact that he's the one that's supposed to herald the uh, the apocalypse uh, in biblical terms. So that yeah, sounds American. <laughs> Suddenly, I'm seeing uh, John Hamm heralding the apocalypse, playing a saxophone. <laughs> they didn't specify what kind of horn it was. Yeah, they, yeah. they did not specify the horn. I'm seeing like you know the, the, the stretch purple. I'm, I'm seeing the stretch purple pants and everything from Lost Boys and just oh. you know, John Hamm going crazy with that saxophone. I always bring it on the end of the world. Horn. <laughs> <laughs> on a different Ham note, uh, if you get the chance to see John Ham in the new Fletch movie. Yes, I highly great. recommend. Oh, is he playing yeah. Fletch? He's, he's Fletch. playing Fletch. Okay, and I'm it's, in. It's uh, all yeah. of the good that Chevy Chase had with none of the Chevy Chase. Oh, right. <laughs> that, that is an amazingly good uh, recommendation. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's it's so much more out of the books. Everything. I mean, oh, it's really it's a really good movie. And Ham is not traditional Ham in it. So, way to go, Ham, in both roles. Yes. Speaking of roles, he was eating sushi in the in Good Omens. In roles, yes. yes. Oh, and Ham on a roll. That sounds good for lunch, too. Between Rubens and Ham stop, on a roll, stop, yes. Stop, stop, stop. Yeah. The panel is hungry. <laughs> I have to say that Aziraphale eating sushi, though, kind of hit me a little off. 
I feel like even though Aziraphale wants to experience all the human things, he would still be vegetarian. Yeah. Now, yeah. but isn't there like seaweed versions of sushi that don't have fish? I mean, there's California rolls and stuff. I mean, he he definitely had some some nigiri going on there. Maybe oh, nobody yeah. told him it was in there. Oh, that might be it. <laughs> Crowley recommended it to him, knowing he's vegetarian. <laughs> Maybe this is biblical proof that fish are vegetables. Fish are vegetables. <laughs> They grow underground level. They are halal. That's why you can eat fish on Fridays during Lent, because they're technically vegetables. <laughs> they're not chicken of the sea. They yeah. are broccoli of the sea. I, I think it's just that Azurfell is very good at compartmentalizing. Yeah, He oh, sends the sushi to one stomach while the other food goes to another stomach. He compartmentalizes. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> well, we've seen him bring things back to life. Like mm -hmm. he brought the, the bird back to life maybe you know after chewing oh. it re reconstituting uh, I, it. I, I, I mean you know you, hey hey i'm just saying that that sewer pipes lead to the ocean eventually you know he could he could be <laughs> he could be saving that sushi maybe so he's we, just ensuring so that their souls go to the best place afterwards i have a question <laughs> <laughs> So many questions. Does, does he heal the fish and bring it back to life while it's in his belly such that he then poops it out to then go swim to the ocean? Or does he sit over the toilet bowl and go, I'm done with you now and wave wave his hand and bring it back? I well, you know, you can you can take whichever one makes you happy. I I, I did not think it through that far. <laughs> well, we do see later on in this episode that he's a that that they can move uh, wine from stomach to bottle. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Oh, so, so, so he eats the fish and then moves fish from stomach to ocean. Oh, yeah, right. That but, would preclude uh, yeah. the whole pooping problem. Exactly. There's no digestion but, going but on. But here. without the pooping problem, there's no humor. Yes. No. <laughs> yeah. You do See, have a point. Angels don't really have a sense of humor, so angels wouldn't poop. Does yeah. that mean angels don't fart? Probably. And uh, demons okay. fart a lot. Yeah, I'm, yeah. De I'm definitely a demon then. Well, yeah. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> as far as like the eating the fish goes, I don't think that he could reconstitute the fish once they've been killed because that would screw the environmental impact of humans, albeit just by a little bit. That's true. Uh, and part of what they have to do is to allow humans to, do, to, to make good and bad decisions, etc., etc. But what I could see him doing is ensuring that the souls of the fish go to heaven fish and have only souls. have good no, no, memories no, no, of no, their that, life. That looked like Yellowtail. Soul is more of a bottom feeder style <laughs> fish. Um, it's more like a flounder. That, that was clearly happen. a Yellowtail that he was eating. It, it looked really good, actually. Um I have completely lost control of this podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you never had control to start with. I never had control. I, yeah, I, yeah. Have, well, I have a recommendation, Siobhan, is uh, so for future episodes, you need to make sure people have eaten before they come on, <laughs> I on think that's the a good podcast. Plan. Yeah. Because um, yeah. this seems to be very food driven. <laughs> <laughs> this is the hungry episode. So um, back to good omens. <laughs> We are introduced to the Youngs, Mr. and Mrs. Young, who are very in very, very loud 
labor. So there's some some back and forth, actually. There's a couple of different scenes that go back and forth with that uh, show the two separate sets of parents all headed to the um, religious hospital. I, I was trying to keep this whole process straight in my mind, and, and it was difficult. <laughs> Three-card Monty was the appropriate metaphor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I, I think it works better if you do that whole peas under a cup thing and shuffle uh-huh. them around. Except there's three peas. Right. So maybe, yeah, so that's... That yeah, but one of them's going to get thrown away, so it's not a matter. Yeah. Baby B. Hmm. Who we would or like to believe was adopted. <laughs> and yeah. Sure, we, we would like to believe by wolves. It's a whole nother story. <laughs> That's season Romulus? two. <laughs> so the hospital itself is run by um, the, uh, a satanic order, the Chattering Order of St. Beryl. I yes. always knew nuns were satanic, and now we have proof. Thank you. Well, these ones are. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the ones I dealt with when I was growing up with were too, but that's a different story. That's, that's entirely possible. Saint <laughs> Beryl was a was sainted because she was married. She was a Christian woman who was to be married to a pagan, and she prayed to God for God to intervene. And God blessed her with an inability to stop talking. Mm-hmm. So after three days, her husband strangled her. She was still a virgin at the time. <laughs> yeah. And thus she is a sainted martyr. And so she is yes. a sainted martyr <laughs> and the founder of the Chattering Order. So they all have names like uh, Sister Mary Loquacious and Sister Teresa Garrulous. There Sister is... Voluble. Sister, <laughs> yeah, sister Verbose, Volleyball. Sister Prolix. I love those names. <laughs> the names that are, are just, fantastic. Yes, just synonyms for not talk, not shutting up. So it's I guess beautiful. the question there is, was Beryl actually satanic right from the get-go, or was this order corrupted over time? Which is something that I don't think is ever addressed or answered, and doesn't need to be. I like the idea of corruption. Yeah, if you're talking will, an actual Christian saint, make you important. Yeah, in yeah the, that, that that feels more mm-hmm. like hell's mo than you know. They're not going to be like, let's okay, let's start this up. Who's going to start the LLC and who's going to put their name on the paper? No, they don't want to do all that. They're just going to be like, okay, see that one over there. Let's take that one. Yeah, well, the corruption is something that uh, you know that the demons were doing. You know, talking about what they had recently accomplished. You know, corrupting yeah. a priest, corrupting a politician. It's it's established that most of the demons will corrupt one person at a time. So possibly one of the founding members of the the convent was mm-hmm. corrupted. Hell plays the long game. Yeah, and that also ties into an aspect of Christian theology that the devil can't create. That's a god thing, mm-hmm. but the devil can screw with anything once it's been created. Yes. Corruption being the name of the game. It's established in the book that for most of uh, the Satanists, this is just their family religion. It's like growing up Catholic. Mm -hmm. You're just assumed to be the religion that your parents are. And their parents were Satanists, so they grew up and Mm -hmm. joined the convent. Yep. And and it seems that largely what they do isn't particularly uh, horrific. 
So, you know, it's, it's, it's normal. Most and people like, are following you know, orders, you know. You work, yeah, exactly. If you work for yeah. an oil company, you're <laughs> Not to play yes or no on the whole Satanism thing, uh, but there's actually a uh, documentary I was watching on a sept of Satanism that their whole theory is that God is the evil one because he created the physical and we're supposed to be spiritual. So they believe that in following Satan, they're following the good guy and all of the other stuff is meant as a distraction from the spiritual. And that's that. So it, religion gets so messy and weird with all the different aspects people want to interpret things. I think that is something that essentially is an interpretation from Zoroastrianism. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, because the physical world is created by the evil. Exactly. Divine. Which is also Buddhism drifted a lot off of that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I mean, Christianity has developed a lot from Zoroastrianism, and pretty much any monotheistic religion derives more from Zoroastrianism than any other single point. Yes. Moving on. Moving on. <laughs> so I'm just kind of mushing together all these scenes with um, the back and forth between the the several couples in the hospital but it also introduces the two sets of families you've got the very um busy american senator who isn't there with his wife but the secret service agents are showing her labor on the screen <laughs> in a <laughs> zoom <birth>. call <laughs> i thought the president sounded like bush yeah that, that was he is credited as an actor w. playing George Bush. Yes. Yeah. Which, right. which, George which w. Bush? He's W. 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 Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which I, th I guess speaks to the TV series being relatively contemporary versus the um, book. Right. You know, well, it is 11 book. years before the end of the world. And having come out yeah. in 2019, that would be 2008. Eight. Thank you. Yeah. Math. <laughs> there, was, there was also an interesting role for Nick Offerman. You know, I did not recognize him without any facial hair and in, like, the suit and everything. I kept thinking, I know that voice. I know that voice. I totally didn't recognize him. And 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 playing a little bit against type, because he's usually less toxically masculine, and in, in this, he was very toxically masculine. Right. Yeah. Well, I think I think the thing is that both of the uh, both of the Americans, when they introduced them, were very toxically American. Oh, very uh, much you, so. You've got the, you know, the British couple uh, where the, the woman is loudly in labor, and it's sort of mannered compared to the, you know, the, the fisheye lens that they put on the American woman as she's screaming in labor. Yeah. Just makes it just crazy. She's, she's not just in pain. She's also really pissed off. Her husband's supposed to be there. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, like, she's screaming into the camera. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> I think I think also that's probably why she was so quick to agree to naming her son Warlock. She's like, well, we were going to name him Thaddeus after his father and his father's father. But yeah. fuck that guy. Yeah. <laughs> <Exactly. Show up>. <laughs> <laughs> Can't even be bothered to be here. So I'm going to name his son Warlock. <laughs> you like them apples. <laughs> the, only thing, the amount of guys I know that would be so much happier with, you know, Warlock. Like, you named him Warlock. That's awesome. It's be less of a punishment. <laughs> yeah, most guys would be like, I didn't even bring that up because I didn't think it would be a valid option. But I mean, if, if you're on board, then if I'm we've got be, that like, on the, the table. Yeah. Oh, means. <laughs> 
Um, so also, I, I think that it is worth referencing that with um, the other child being called Adam, which gives us Adam Warlock, uh-huh. who was created by Jack Kirby uh-huh. as like a character who was created by mad scientists as the world's perfect per- man mm-hmm. um, and goes off and becomes a really weird um, early 70s superhero-y type thing, uh, who I believe has recently shown back up in the movies. Yes, is in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Uh, technically, at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy 2, yep. he's in the coffin. In the cocoon, yeah. Or the cocoon, yeah. whatever it was. Um, and now he's out. So yes, right. yes. Very relevant. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Nerds. I don't even know about... Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even get the Adam Warlock. That's fantastic. I didn't until... I, I wouldn't have if it hadn't... Sh- if, he, if the character hadn't shown up recently... Uh-huh. Um, oh yeah. In, in in the Marvel side of things, but given Gaiman's uh, comic nerdery being mm-hmm. really strong, yes. I am very sure that 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 was intentional. Yes, um, that would not surprise me in the least. And like Jack Kirby is exactly his type of comic booky thing. Yes. Well, well, the seventies were just an excellent, amazing time for comic books in general. Yes. Right. Well, technically, that was Silver Era. Silver but, Era, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so after the babies are successfully switched, Crowley tries to call Aziraphale. Successfully, in quotes. Uh, <laughs> a, a switch occurred. A switch occurred. <laughs> Switches happened. Switches happened. Um, the people involved thought they got it right. <laughs> switch happens. <laughs> the discussion of the meanings of winks was that was funny. so nice. I loved I love that little bit. That's that's a very Pratchett kind of thing. There was those two um, actors, uh, Maggie Service and Nina Sasena. I mm-hmm. bought the um, the Blu-ray and I actually listened to some of the the bonus material, and they oh, nice. did an interview where they were sitting and talking about their experience of being on good omens. And I swear to God, the two of them were hammered (laughs) (laughs) killing themselves, laughing the whole time and cracking jokes and going completely off topic. They were hilarious. We need to get them on this podcast. They fit right in. We do. We do. They were having so much fun. Make sure they don't eat before they get on here. Yes. (laughs) Crowley tries to call Aziraphale. He's brought down all the phone lines, so... (laughs) Hoisted by his own petard. And he does does this a lot. This is kind of in character for Crowley. Well, I'm wondering, did he even actually cause the phone outage? Because he said he'd been fudging his his reports to to home the whole time. So, you know, he may have just been like, anytime something went wrong, be like, oh yeah, that was me. So they actually filmed that part where he oh. takes down the phone lines. Okay, and so he did actually do that. That wasn't just him trying to take credit. And okay. he did it by sending rats into um, the central tower, where the, this, this I guess, central switchboards to control the towers are. And so when they called an exterminator, he went in pretending to be the exterminator and then, like, poured a cup of coffee over the main computer or something. It was just very kind of, like, I'm going to be James Bond and do this whole, <laughs> you know, plot. But they ended up cutting it out because they thought it was confusing. 
but it but it has been filmed and it's hilarious. I'd lo a love to see it. And secondly, I, I assume that that was something he'd done because the other demons didn't understand it, right? Like I I kind of assume that when he takes credit for something that's happening anyway, it's going to be the stuff that regular demons are like, oh yeah, that's oh a bunch of humans are killing each other. Yeah, I caused that. Yeah, yeah, right. Right. Whereas when it's something subtle that will co lead to a huge number of of souls being damned, but the demons don't understand it, that's where he's doing the work. That's what he's proud of. Like that, because mm. that's him adapting to, to living in the world. Yeah. So Crowley started Fox News. Yes. Very likely. Yep. <laughs> okay. All right. Good to know. Okay. But didn't get credit for it because the other demons don't understand. Yeah. Propaganda, what propaganda is or how it works. Yeah, exactly. One of his pseudonyms is Murdoch. No, I'm pretty sure Murdoch is one of the the captains of hell. But yes, it's like Haster, Murdoch, B. A. Baracus. Mm -hmm. The name sounds right. Ailes. <laughs> so then there's the scene at St. James Park, where they go into this big long narration about this is where all the secret agents meet and exchange their secrets. So of course it's an appropriate place for Crowley and Aziraphale to meet. Among the ducks, deep wing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so in the in the book, Azir feels a lot less anxious. Like you get the impression in the book that Heaven doesn't really check up on him. Um, same with Crowley. Like they'll know if he screws up, but nobody's really watching him. Mm -hmm. So in the book, Azirafel says, "You know, it's not that I don't agree with you. I just can't disobey." Whereas in the show. Crowley really has to talk him into it. You get the impression that Azerfell's boss is like watching him all the time. I wonder if that's speaking to kind of like a more changes in the workplace since the book was written and now, with there being you know bosses being Much a more lot surveillance. more micromanaging. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Gabriel does seem like a micromanager. Yeah. You can see how good uh, Crowley is at tempting because he manages to talk Aziraphale into it, takes him out for lunch, winds him and dines him, they go back to the bookstore and get drunk together. There's that wonderful little scene where Aziraphale is like, get there, get thee behind me, foul fiend. Oh, after, after you. you. <laughs> <laughs> and I do love the, uh, the discussion about uh, how horrible heaven will be because we have all the good music. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's like... No more theater, no more bookshops. <laughs> right. No more... Curling we have all the that. box. You know? <laughs> and all they have up in heaven is uh, Sound of Music. That's all you'll be able to listen to for eternity. What kind of hell would that be? I've always said, if heaven means I have to spend eternity with the people I know from church, send me to hell. Yeah. <laughs> the scene where they undrunk themselves makes me cringe every time. It's just so gross. <laughs> so gross. It was the, 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 the still having the taste in the mouth afterwards that oh. And they were obviously straining, like they're both like <laughs> like you, you don't want to see them unfish themselves. <laughs> no, I do not. <laughs> the dewining and the unfishing should just remain off camera. <laughs> Isn't that like the opposite of the miracles of Jesus? The dewining and the unfishing? 
Yeah, <laughs> you're right. Mm, no, it's Subtle. kind of turning. Uh, I mean, they're 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 turning not wine into wine, or wine. Yeah, yeah huh? you know, post wine. Well, I mean, in this case, it's post wine. But you know, if you get it, if you get something that's twice filtered, now it's thrice filtered. Oh, hey, we should really set up a, a business here, like angel filtered wine. Is that like the yeah. coffee that gets shit out by yeah, weasels? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the civic coffee. This is like angel wine. This has been through an angel's liver at least once. Ooh. So I'm wondering, like, I'm assuming the wine that has been processed by an angel will taste amazing. But, like, I'm assuming the wine that has been processed by uh, Crowley is going to come up being a lot more like, I don't know, um, Budweiser. Uh, I figure right. like cinnamon schnapps, maybe. I was going more along the lines of whether you get a white or a red. It's a lot more peppery. Yeah, yeah. If it's a red, it it's going to come demon. out as hot damn. And, oh, and if yeah, it's a white, it, it's. Uh, uh, what is white going to be? That rum chata shit, maybe? No, see, I, I was going. I was thinking wines, but, you know, much more a buttery Chardonnay out of the angel and much more of a peppery, spicy Merlot out of the demon. From the angel, it would be like blue nun Liebfraumilch. <laughs> I don't know about Blue Nun. That seems like that would come out of a demon. <laughs> no, no, the demon, that, that's where Malort comes from. Oh, oh yes. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Thunderbird? Oh, oh yes. no. If, if you don't know what Malort is, it is the nastiest tasting liquor in the world. It's only brewed in Chicago, and I, it, it, oh. Yeah. It, it, it's an experience. Does we'll just that it's an follow experience. like most of those experiences that there are some people that swear by it and you just need to acquire the taste for it's it? It's a cultural yep. thing. Nobody yeah, ever actually likes the taste. It's just kind of like you're a bad... It's like the the way that English um, curries are hotter than anywhere else on the planet. It's, right. It, you know, it's like a, almost like a contest. Yeah. So next we have a couple of scenes which, until I wrote them down, I didn't really think about it very much. We have um, the scene where Haster burns down the convent. He shows up and he's like, your order is dissolved. There's a there's a line in the book which I think is is great. It says that, you know, most people, most demons are just people doing their jobs, except for Haster and Ligger, who enjoy being assholes so much that they're almost human. (laughs) 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 And I'm very sad that line didn't make it into the show, because it's brilliant. (laughs) That is a brilliant line. But it's here now. Season two, somebody somebody say it in season two. Right. (laughs) So you have that scene where where Haster burns down the convent, and then you have the scene where Aziraphale finally agrees to help Crowley. And Crowley's final argument to convince him is by making big puppy dog eyes. <laughs> well, puppy dog snake eyes. So, puppy, yeah. puppy snake eyes. Puppy big snake. Slitted yellow puppy dog eyes. Mm-hmm. He's like, we'd be godfathers. <laughs> and it's just such a fantastic juxtaposition of the, the, the two demons. Right. David Tennant to me uh, delivers the, the line of the episode. You see a while, you thwart it, right? (laughs) (laughs) I love that. The burning down of the convent, however, I I do kind of feel, I mean, it was a satanic convent, so you kind of knew what you were signing up for. You had to know that flames were going to be involved at some point. 
don't keep the flammable stuff in the house, like have a safety deposit box or something. I kind of feel this fits into the, um, this is a family tradition, so that it, the, the people that are currently there aren't thinking about it, mm. right? And if they have, they're in the um, face-eating leopards voters club. Yes. <laughs> yeah. um, I I just feel like Haster missed a good supervillain moment there because he said your order is dissolved and then burned it down. He should have like covered it in acid or oh. used the line "You're fired." Yeah, yeah, you're fired. That would that. Would say, yeah. If you're gonna say you're dissolved, then you need to cover them in acid. Yes. But, you know, but, yeah. Oh, no, but that would have been an awesome. Oh, Ruark, why aren't you on this team? You needed to have designed that because the idea of you're dissolved and then just clouds forming and acid rain taking out the thing would have been a beautiful effect and not something huh? seen much. Yeah. It's a fantastic right. idea. Right? Yeah, but see, Haster's, Haster's too too into the old ways. He's just like, eh, fire. Yeah, yeah but with the but, way we treat the environment, making acid rain's got to be like an easy thing. Like, I don't think that's heavy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, All like of the stuff's already going on. Right. And true. if he was going with fire, are you fired a la, you know, like the apprentice? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Would it, right? yeah, yeah, Either way, there was a joke that they didn't do. <laughs> well, so, 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 so what we're saying is uh, uh, Amazon and, and uh, Neil, uh, obviously, we, you need to uh, expand your writer's room. Uh, you know, we're available. Well, and, uh, just just said, just putting it out there. They haven't had the benefit of our podcast like they do with Wheel of Time this to be able true. to pull ideas from us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good to know you're listening. <laughs> so then we move on to um, their attempt to influence Warlock. Five years later with Mary Poppins' umbrella. Yes. <laughs> I was hoping somebody had spotted Mary Poppins' parrot head umbrella. Yes. That was the first thing. It's like, oh, yeah, this is going to be good. And with here is... Crowley as Mary Poppins. <laughs> yeah, here is Mrs. Doubtfire Crowley. I just have to say, I really, really, really appreciate the way that they played this. Yes. Um... I don't know if it was David Tennant's idea or if it was the director's idea or if it was a combination of both, but just the way he played it as just, he was still absolutely just himself, mm -hmm. just in feminine clothing. Right. And, and Pre presenting. Nothing, yeah. yeah. And, and, and nothing was said of it. And, and it just, it felt nice, honestly. It was completely not played as a joke. Yes. Right. Yeah. They didn't go with the over the top Mrs. Doubtfire. They didn't go with the like, drag oh my god look at the the guy in makeup thing it was just you know he looked fantastic and he happened to be in feminine clothing so it's stated in the book specifically that angels and fallen angels also do not have a gender unless they choose to make an effort mm -hmm. this has led to fan fiction referring to their genitalia as their efforts <laughs> 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 I'm putting that right up there with special purpose from the jerk. Yes, yes. <laughs> I found my special purpose. I have an effort. <laughs> my effort's getting harder. <laughs> but it does mean that when Crowley presents as female, Crowley is wearing a, fe a feminine body. Like mm -hmm. that's 
I mean, if if you can change into a snake, changing into a woman is actually, you know, relatively right. easy. Right. And the older you get, the lower your efforts go. So. <laughs> <laughs> Just getting tired. God, I hate when my efforts dip in the toilet water. <laughs> Some mornings my efforts surprises me. Yes. Um, but so when we were talking about the two of these earlier not efforts and purposes <laughs> i thought you were um, gonna say a different p word right no there. no i uh, but when we were talking about it earlier i made a mention of the fact there was something i wanted to say about them that i found really interesting but this is the moment that i really wanted to touch on that is they are in this agreement to cancel out their influence on the antichrist right yet they are because of their interaction kind of canceling out how evil and how good they are with each other because hmm. crowley is having some soft spots occasionally and they're both kind of like softening to the other side more and i find that a brilliant like side effect of the amount of time they're spending around each other they've been yep. hanging out for six thousand years and they've rubbed up on each other I noticed that too. I, I, how much Aziraphale, you know, was doing things that he really, really shouldn't, and and how much Crowley was, you know, showing empathy, and and it it and yeah, I, it, it it's like neither of them are still on their team. They're in some no man's land in between at this point. Mm-hmm. They're they're both more human than either of them wants to admit. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah, absolutely. One thing we haven't mentioned yet is uh, Azarfell's disguise. I, oh God! <laughs> I love that just World's over the top disguise. <laughs> Crowley shows up looking fantastic, and he shows up just looking like a a, a garden gnome. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he looks like a background actor from like a, a medieval drama or something, right? <laughs> He's the peasant pitchforking things in the background. Complete with the, you know, the straw and the teeth. Yeah. Exactly. There's um there's a mention in the book uh that specifically says that um when Crowley shows up as the nanny, that he was heavily influenced. His appearance was heavily influenced by having seen Mary Poppins. He was sure that there was gonna be other candidates and he contemplated using Hurricane to get rid of them, like in the movie, but he had to settle for a tube strike. <laughs> <laughs> well, modern problems require modern solutions. Another thing that I noticed for the first time is when Warlock meets Azurfil, the gardener, he's using sign language. He says, I'm six or I'm five or however old he yeah. is. And mm-hmm. he's using ASL. Yeah, I noticed that as well. Which I thought was pretty cool. Somebody taught him ASL. Yeah. Well, it's something that uh, that has been done in a lot of... Uh, you know, preschool education uh, for even for pre-verbal kids uh, as a way to communicate. Yeah, they can sign before they can uh, verbalize. Right. So they can tell you what they want. Yes, yes, no, more, uh, hungry, I have to poop, you know, that sort of stuff. I could use the signs for all those. <laughs> Especially I have to poop. <laughs> 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 Which 
which is the funniest sign ever. Fortunately, this is not a visual medium. <laughs> <laughs> All the well, more to, reason to join into our recording sessions and watch our <laughs> antics. <laughs> well, to describe it, you make a fist with your left hand, stick your thumb of your right hand in, and pull it out. Yep. Is that real? Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's real. Kids learned that in preschool. And, of course, that's the first thing they want to tell you when they come home. <laughs> I had the most interesting experience where so, uh, Ben and Jerry's does a hearing impaired day where they give a cone at the places. I think they still do, but they, for a long time, did cones to people who were hearing impaired for free. And the restaurant I was working at when I was younger was right next door to a Ben and Jerry's. And we had a front window to our establishment. And like this large group of hearing impaired people came in, got their cones. Half of them wanted dinner. So half of them came in, requested a table at the window. The other half brought tables from the courtyard and put them up against the other side of the window. Because sound does not need to trend, that table just went right through that window. They were able to talk with a person oh, sitting right next cool. to them or down wow. the down the table because sign was not blocked that by is that cool. window. It was amazing to watch. That's that awesome. is absolutely that fascinating. Is really wow. yeah. cool. That's great. Never thought of that. But yeah, that makes absolute sense. So in the next set of scene we scenes, we get to actually see heaven and hell. The escalator scene is a great special effect. That was so well done. Yes. They <laughs> spent a lot of time Crowley on that. Going down and a zero fail going up. And but the same entrance. Yes. Just so heaven reflection. is at the top floor of an office tower and hell is in the basement and hell is dirty and crowded and leaky and smelly. Apparently it was filmed in an uh, um, abandoned abattoir. Appropriate. And heaven is just a, uh, <laughs> it, it's a, it's a completely empty corporate soulless office building with uh, some guy in concept. the background with a hoverboard. Yeah. I saw the hoverboard. I thought the hoverboard was brilliant. <laughs> Still refuse to call them hoverboards. Well, it actually it hovers. No, no. Well, I'm sure if it's an angel driving it, it can. True. This is true. true. Yeah. Which would be was... funny. I'm having to find a way to grip it with his feet <laughs> so that when he flew. <laughs> like talons. Exactly. Like a hawk carrying off a fish. So what it, one of the things I thought was interesting about this was the way that Aziraphale is talking to the other angels about how his plan is going to work. And, and everyone else is saying, no, no, it's not going to work. You're, you're, what you're doing is admirable, but we want the war. We want the war to happen. So your plan is going to fail. Mm-hmm. And it's so very clear that they just don't know or care about the fallout of their little family feud mm-hmm. with the demons. We have to fulfill and I the watch prophecy. This and I'm like, you people need to go to family therapy. Like, right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, the idea of just, you know, the bottom line is everything, which is why heaven is an empty, you know, corporate soulless space. It's there for, you know, to fulfill the purpose. It's, uh, it's a it's a nice little metaphor, you know. There's no individuality. It's uh, you know let let's let's meet our quarterly earnings and uh, get on with it. 
which again fits because the I mean, angels were created by God. They, um, in, I think Catholic canon, they have one moment of free will, which is when they get to decide whether to be angels or demons, and then mm. after that, they're operating programmatically, and their job is to run heaven, right? And yep. to, and 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 obviously from their point of view, um. Armageddon happens, the end of the world happens. After that, you know, like all the human souls are going to be judged and are going to go to their rightful place. Right? Yep. And and then it's the 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 reason they were created has occurred, you know, so obviously they want this to happen. Yeah. You know, that's their job. This is yeah. the it's the it's the big bang. So people actually going to heaven and hell is something that happens after Armageddon? Yes. That explains why there's no people. There's no humans in heaven or hell. You see demons, you see angels, you don't see any humans. I mean... I always thought maybe they were in a, in a like, a side... Yeah, this could be just be the home office, you know. A couple of floors down, Storage maybe, is like elsewhere. the floors in between. Yeah. <laughs> the limbo lobby. Well, well, the home office and the warehouse are not usually in the same place. That's true. I would assume that they're in the retirement home section of heaven rather than the, the workplace. Oh, come on. The humans are cannon fodder. You think? Yeah. When they're alive, they're cannon fodder. Like, they may or may not... They could be just, you know, waiting for final judgment to happen before they get to go to one place or the other. Because so I think that is... A, again, that's, I think, an interpretation of uh revelation etc etc um yeah it's like only the saints get to go into heaven immediately as soon as you're canonized kind of thing. yeah but everyone else is waiting for the fight every all the other souls are waiting i guess in a warehouse essentially yeah. i was a bad catholic i didn't know any of this stuff um <laughs> I, 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 I. <laughs> and so it, you know and if that's the case then it is I would suggest, you know, it's a good thing to want to get it over and done with because then all of these souls that are filling up, you know, the afterlife warehouse will actually get to come back and get to experience uh, the good times. You can get them out of storage. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Um, the afterlife warehouse, a.k.a. Florida. Yeah. Like, you, ca you know, you, you can't, um, <laughs> you know, you can't, you can't just keep on producing without actually, you know, like... You know, without actually use it, you know, without um, opening up the boxes, right? Right. Like right now, all of these souls are collectibles. Are you pro Armageddon? I'm hearing, <laughs> I'm hearing a pro Armageddon argument coming out of you. I think that, again, theologically, it's got to happen. It's supposed to happen at some point, right? The longer it goes, how, who is that? Be you know, who is it benefiting by it not happening? I guess the people who As they're will... Ellen Crowley, they get to keep hanging yeah, out together. <laughs> yeah, but but like you know, I mean, obviously God didn't design the universe without Azura and Crowley in mind. Although he's pissed off, so we don't really know what he's after anyway. And his plan isn't necessarily ineffable because you know she's ineffable. I guess the people who benefit from Armageddon not happening that would be intentional for the divine are the people who will go to hell. Because as long as they're not actually going to, as long as they're not actually in hell, they're doing okay. Any day you're not in hell is a good day. Yeah, exactly. Th those ones will suffer when Armageddon happens. But then from the perspective of angels, 
they had their choice, they made their decisions, so, you know, that that's on them. Right. They had all these opportunities that angels didn't have because the angels have the one moment of free will mm -hmm. where humans have yeah. their entire lives. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, like, I mean, and these guys, have, you know, they've been training and practicing for thousands of years for Armageddon. For the big and, throwdown. Yeah. You know, it, it's, you know, like, um, like, you know, athletes. You don't want to be on the, you know, you want, don't want to be in training all the time. You want to actually go out and do the thing. Right. And have the contest. So it's like the Olympics. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you could just have little Armageddon's every four years, everybody be happy? <laughs> <laughs> Probably, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's not a bad idea. Open so, up another set of boxes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Something Ruark said about the, uh, the, the, it being like collectibles. You know, if you go to hell, you finally get to take it out of the box. In heaven, mm -hmm. you stay mint, you know. Yeah. I was going to say, I think we already do have a little mini Armageddon every four years. Yeah, it's called the U.S. elections. Yeah. It, yeah, bingo. <laughs> As the non-American in the room, I will buy that. <laughs> <laughs> You're not the only non-American. It's true. I also buy it. Yeah. Axel's double non-American. As the American in the room, I'll buy that. <laughs> of course. But how much will you buy it for is the question. It uh, depends if I can shred it afterwards. <laughs> There's a lot I'll pay if I could shred it afterwards. Wait, wait. If, the if, election. So, so you're an American. Um, so how many guns will you pay for that? Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm mad because of the truth of that statement. As uh, Gabriel says, as the boss likes to say, climb every mountain. And here comes another angel. Ford every stream. Sound of music will be everywhere. Follow every rainbow. <laughs> so does that mean that heaven would be very gay? No gender, remember? I don't know if sound of music is, you know, necessarily the gayest musical ever. Not the gayest, but I mean, isn't like, I mean, Julie Andrews is, is pretty much a gay icon, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and, right. and musicals are. I'm, I'm just always amused because a lot of people forget the the actual amount of Nazis in that musical. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. The first yeah. half is a romance, and the there's second half is a lot of Nazi in that. <laughs> yeah. And there's also a lot of uh, de Nazi washing of uh, all the Bond oh. traps. Yeah. 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 The, the, the musical. Which, and so I kind of, kind of wonder maybe, you know, like, is this inherent in, in you know, is this, uh, a, was this part of the reason why they picked Sound of Music? Yeah, yeah. Or you were have they a point. just going with a kind of like it's a very it's a very Christiany kind of like thing because it stars a nun, yeah. and we think this is funny. Being a fan of musicals, having studied musicals for a good portion of my life, it's always interesting. Even it happens in Shakespeare too. The people who get stories they want out of stories when you're like, you kind of missed the point of that one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And some of them, people are like, oh yeah, this is what gets it. Oh yeah, no. You missed the point of that one, and that's why it's not good. Uh, like, <laughs> I, I think that kind of sums up Gabriel, though. Yeah, yeah. True. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You know, he likes it because it's got a nun and, you know, climb every mountain and all that stuff. And he's, like, completely glossing over the, the anti-authoritarian <laughs> yeah. half of the movie. <laughs> yeah. How do you solve a problem like Gabriel? <laughs> <laughs> Well, how, how do you solve the problem like Aziraphale? Mm. 
Mm. With Crowley. Now I want that to be filmed with these actors. (laughs) (laughs) John Hamm singing, How Do You Solve a Problem Like a (laughs) Zerfell. I'd pay money for that. I'm putting (laughs) Amazon. Amazon, Amazon, are you listening? Please, please. We need this. We need the music provided by Queen. (laughs) (laughs) We got a guy who could do Freddie Mercury's voice. We're in. Well, that and also the end credit music. If you listen to the entire thing, it is the opening credit music done totally in the style of Queen. It's Uh hilarious. I love it. The Brian May harmony guitars. It's 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 gorgeous. I love it. So that whole scene with heaven and hell, we also get to see Crowley's boss for the first time, the mm. demon Beelzebub and her flies. Their flies. I think it's I think it's commonly believed that Beelzebub is uh, non-binary. So so different mythologies give different hierarchies in hell for different things. Is this mythology claiming Beelzebub is the top dog Satan, or is Beelzebub just like one of the archdukes of hell? Beelzebub is Satan's second in command. Okay, so just one of the archdukes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Nobody really talks to Satan. Satan's off sulking somewhere. Mm-hmm. Okay. The CEO, not the owner. Yeah. But Beel- Beelzebub is Crowley's boss. Gotcha. And uh, one of the things that that other people have mentioned that I really have to agree with is the whole idea that when you have female actors who are playing demons, they are not playing succubus. And that is nice. Mm, (laughs) That they can be just as gross and disgusting (laughs) (laughs) as all the other demons and it's not sexified. Unless you're into that sort of thing. You know, I I, I have to say, um, just watching their depictions of heaven and their depictions of hell, I would be much more comfortable in hell. Like, heaven is just this corporate hellscape. You'd hit your head on the ceiling all the time. <laughs> Hell feels like all the punk clubs I've ever been to in one spot. And it probably smells about the same. Yeah, exactly. At least I'd be used to it. It's the bathroom of every punk club you've been to. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. more or less. Yeah. 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 The signs that say, do not lick the walls. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Entirely fitting for some of the punk bathrooms I've been to. True. Yep. When we talked about this exact topic before, I refrained from saying a, a an old Irish joke, and it coming up again, I can't help it. Um, there is a there is a phrasing that goes that there's only two things to worry about in life: either you're going to be sick, or you're going to either going to get sick, or you're going to stay well. If you get sick, there's only two things to worry about in life: either you're going to get better, or you're going to get worse. If you get better, there's nothing to worry about. If you get worse, there's only two things to worry about: you either get better, or you'll die. If you get better, there's nothing to worry about. If you get worse, there's only th- two things to worry about. You either go to heaven or you go to hell. If you go to heaven, there's nothing to worry about. If you go to hell, you'll be so busy shaking hands with friends, you won't have time to worry. <laughs> <laughs> like it. So, <laughs> so we go to their meeting on the bus. 
Aziraphale is reading a newspaper, and I zoomed in on it. It's called the Celestial, Celestial Observer. Observer, and I was trying really hard to see what the articles were, but I could not get a close enough look. The pre-press geek in me noticed the uh, the, the color bars and the calibration bars are, are, which are normally cropped out. They're normally cut off of a newspaper or something like that. It's still there. I don't know if there's any deep meaning of it or the props department screwed up or what, but... Uh, or, or heaven's just really bad at this. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> is it, or is it a, uh, is, is he reading a, a newsletter of a, uh, of an astronomy club? I don't know. So then we're back to hell and, uh, we meet the hellhound. Well, we kind of meet the hellhound. <laughs> the hellhound eats somebody. <laughs> Some poor demon. This is Eric, known in the script as the disposable demon. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and the, uh, looking at the X-ray right now, uh, the actor is uh, Paul Adafea and uh, is listed as Disposable Demon. Doesn't get the name Eric, though. I'm not sure where Eric comes from, if it's in the script or not, but but uh, he gets killed so many times. <laughs> and he's, and he, he's back in season two. Oh, awesome. Yes. I was like, what, so what so he's the Kenny of, of the show. He is the Kenny, yes. The Kenny of hell. <laughs> oh my God, you killed Disposable Demon. You just killed Eric. <laughs> they should have called him Kenny. I mean, come on. So Eric is Cartman's first name. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Is Were they making a commentary on, eh, we'd rather kill Eric every episode. <laughs> that, that's my guess. <laughs> <laughs> I had the same thought, Axel. I had the same thought. Wasn't wasn't that a King Missile song? Disposable Demon. Disposable Demon. Da, 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 da. Yeah, Disposable you, you followed demon. me there, Dean. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah, was yeah I went there too. I was just going to call it Detachable Demon, but uh, hey, same difference. Well, yeah, either way. <laughs> um, and then we hit the dinosaur park, which you know apparently dinosaurs don't actually exist, but there's a park and. Uh, Crowley comes up with the idea that Aziraphale could kill the Antichrist, and that would solve all their problems. And somehow Aziraphale thinks that being a magician at his birthday party is a better idea. I'm not sure I followed the logic <laughs> of that thought process. One thing about the dinosaur park, is this an actual place? Does anybody know? It's like, this is what people thought dinosaurs used to look like, and these are just like... Yeah, back back in the Victorian era, they originally thought like they didn't they they thought that their legs had to come out of the sides of their bodies and go straight down like many lizards currently do. They didn't believe that their legs could be underneath and support them like like our current un, ungulates stand. So they were not very yeah. good at puzzles. Is is what I <laughs> yeah that, that's about what it yeah, yeah yeah. This piece goes here. You lived in London, Axel. So yeah, this is uh, th these dinosaurs are in Crystal Palace Park, which is in South London, um, and I think was built for the like first World's Fair Great Exhibition kind of a thing back in in in, in peak Victorian peak Victorian England. So that whole the whole thing where Crowley is begging Aziraphale not to. Do magic it's embarrassing apparently that was all ad-libbed <laughs> <laughs> no it's humiliating i'm begging you <laughs> look who's behind your ear it was in your fingers 
You can do actual magic. <laughs> Why are you? So just to jump a little bit more on the dinosaurs, as they were uh, created in 1852, and they were the first dinosaur sculptures in the world. 1852? Yes. Wow. Oh, awesome. Like, I just wanted to bring up the, the, the ancestry and historicity of them. I think it's a really nice thing to bring in. It's actually something I will tell to my son because he has been on a kick of learning. We, just, we spent the morning watching all sorts of videos about ankylosauruses and finding out whether the handle of the tail or the uh, hammer of the tail evolved first. Like, in-depth stuff for a four-year-old to be studying. So, That's really, really enjoy cool. that fact. Kids nice. love dinosaurs. I loved dinosaurs when I was a kid. I did a whole project on them at school. Dinosaurs and pirates. That I didn't need to do. I just really wanted to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a project. We didn't ask you to do a project. I know! <laughs> I think that is sincerely lacking in your teaching skills. You should have asked me for a project. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so then we get to the birthday party. <laughs> <laughs> Where there's enough secondhand embarrassment to, for everyone. <laughs> it is, it love is Zerfeld's mustache. Yes. <laughs> oh yes. yes. The cringe, you know, the cringeness of it is fantastic. And I do have to say, the design of Crowley's watch. I want a watch like that. With the the display, like a mechanical display. Uh, oh, with all the gears. Yeah. Yeah, it's very steampunk. I, I dig it. I want one. You could beat someone to death with that watch. It's enormous. True, true. So in the book, one of the kid, the kids, Zerfel screws up and uh, causes one of the secret secure security service to drop his guns, and the kids grabs a gun, and so Zerfel has to turn the guns into water pistols. So that somehow is what launches the food fight. Yeah. They didn't actually go into that in the show, because I think it would have been complicated to film. Oh, yeah. Yeah. American kids with guns. Yeah, that's... that's Nothing uh, would be out of place there. I know, but it doesn't It doesn't really it make well. for good comedy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's a little too, little too topical, I think. Yeah. yeah. I think it's a difference of time and Americanness versus Englishness. But changing it to the food fight starting just because they hate Azeropha so much as a magician that they just start hurling cake at him. That's, mm -hmm. that that's, fits. Yep. That, that works. <laughs> yep. Seems totally legit to me. I've seen those shows and lacked the cake. So this is the point where they realize that they've got the wrong kid. And that's when uh, Crowley talks to Dagan on the radio and it's the actual radio host announcer. Yeah, the yep. BBC announcer. Yeah, that's Paul Gambaccini who is uh, a radio and DJ from like 1974 uh, on and offwards. And one of the, and one who was not uh, involved in, uh, in, in being a nonce, like so many of his uh, peers. A nonce? Um, pedophile. You know, the whole like Jimmy Savile and Gary Glitter and all their friends. I didn't know nonce was specifically pedo. Interesting. Okay. I have learned in English. I knew today. that that was not a good thing to be. Yeah. I didn't know the exact details as to why. You're very welcome. The more you know. See? Educational. This show is educational. So in the next scene, the hellhound finds his actual master. Yes. And we meet the them. <laughs> mm -hmm. Which is a, a, 
I, I figured that this this name comes from everyone in the neighborhood going, oh, God, it was them. <laughs> <laughs> it seems appropriate with the child of Satan sort of leading the leading the way. So there's a there's a scene when they they first introduced them, um, Pepper and uh, Brian, Brian are sword fighting. Mm -hmm. And. It's almost like that's a little bit of foreshadowing because Pepper is the one who ends up taking the sword away from war at the end. Mm -hmm. Mm. And then I said, because I saw that, I then looked at Wensleydale when they interviewed, when they, not when they, when they, when they presented him, introduced him. So what I was looking for. And he's standing next to a set of um, scales. Mm -hmm. He defeated famine. Who's symbolized by the scales? Yeah, I, I was going to say the 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 fact that he's named after a cheese has got to be uh, relevant to that. So this is something I hadn't I caught love before. The cheese fe defeated famine. That is beautiful, isn't it? Though <laughs> I could go for some cheese right now. A nice charcuterie. Adam, Winsley the day. gang, the gang leader, and the one who invents all the best games and has the best ideas. And then there's this scene where the hellhound turns into this little terrier and comes running up to him. And it's all filmed in slow motion. It's <laughs> with romantic music. Yeah, it's the dog he described wanting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it also speaks to him being terrible at naming things. This is true. This Which is but true. the reverse of God. It's beautiful. He oh. names it the reverse of God. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> I Whoa. didn't even catch that. That's true. <laughs> DW for the win. The dyslexic in me was thrilled with this. <laughs> <laughs> Dys dyslexics of the world, untie. Yes. <laughs> I was just so charmed by this scene where they're like running together across the field in slow motion. And it's like... <laughs> This yep. is like your classic, you know, lovers coming together. Scene. Boy meets dog mm -hmm. to start the Armageddon. I love the fact that it came from the naming, that that was the sign that it has begun when he names the dog. And then he names it dog. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and turns it into completely not the hellhound it was uh, <laughs> trained to be. Right. <laughs> I mean, it would have been more appropriate if it was a chihuahua. But uh, I, I, I made that same joke as we were watching it. <laughs> <laughs> I've met hellhounds. <laughs> and they were little tiny dogs who know that ancestrally they're descended from wolves. Yes. And this is our fault. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you did this to me. <laughs> and then we reach the final scene. They're back in the shop. A.Z. Fell and Company. It's a nice little touch there. Yes. Yeah. And uh, Crowley is drowning his sorrows, as it were. <laughs> well, the end of the world's coming. Get some scotch. Had, you know, like any of the, de had any of the devils followed the hellhound they'd sent and watched what happened, they would know that something was seriously amiss in their plans. But they don't. Because they're not actually very good at their jobs. I was going to say that would require, like, doing stuff. Yeah. And I guess being demons, they, they are necessarily lazy. 
And as Crowley says, I'm to blame they never check up. Mm-hmm. They can't check up because sloth is a sin and therefore uh, something that they have to practice. <laughs> ah, there you go. Yes, but they're very angry about the fact that this has happened, practicing their wrath. Oh, absolutely, yes. But wait, gluttony is a sin, yet there's famine. As one of the Famine's not a sin, though. I know, but famine is a result of not gluttony. So, Well, gluttony in some parts of the world can result in famine in other parts. That's true, that's true, yeah. Dang it, I thought I found a hole in all of theology. <laughs> <laughs> there's a, there's a, the thing about the Spanish Inquisition, in the book it said that Cro the first time Crowley heard of the Spanish Inquisition was when he received a commendation from hell. And so he went to Spain to see what was going on and ended up uh, being Getting so horrified credit. he stayed drunk for a week. <laughs> <laughs> Humans beat me to it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we don't we aren't actually needed here. Right? <laughs> Humans got this. Humans yeah. got this. We can sit back and just let it happen. And the scene closes with Zerafel saying, Well, welcome to the end times. <laughs> And the countdown has to begun. the end times. We got fun and games. So, yeah. I'm not sure that's how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I don't know Guns N' Roses well enough to dispute it. <laughs> <laughs> so anything else anybody wants to bring up that we missed? This set me up for a show I hadn't seen in a while and, and wanted to. Like the, this, it, watching the first episode the first time around when it was on, you know, when it was first released, it was one of those things where as I watched it, I'm like, this is checking all the boxes of what I look for when I sit down, like, I want to find something to watch. And this show was like, oh, this has the comedy I like. This has the, you know, pseudo-religious uh, commentary. The like, like, all of it was really beautifully handled. And it has actors I love. In yes. It. And uh, yeah, it, this, this geared me up well for the series, I think. Everybody talks about David Tennant, but come on, man, Michael Sheen. Michael Sheen, Michael is, Sheen is so amazing. great. I love all his work. Yeah, David Tennant is amazing. Michael Sheen is amazing. It, it's the chemistry between them. Yes. Like, yeah. It would not it work with, with, without both of them. It just would not work. Mm -hmm. Right. I, who was it at the beginning of the episode said something about uh, there's the new Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart? Like, I don't think it was DW or it was Axel. Okay, yeah. no, I think it was yeah, Axel, you yeah. feel that kind of chemistry mm -hmm. with them. They, they, you can tell like when they're done filming, they're still hanging out and you know probably eating breakfast together. I don't know. Well, I think that's why Greg and I were so surprised to find out they didn't know each other well before this series, right? Because that chemistry is so beautifully real that it's it's rare that you can get cast in something meet the other person and be like oh yeah this is gonna click like there's a lot of times where you're like okay i can make this work i don't know that i would have hung out with this person who's playing my best friend but we're actors we can make this real but to genuinely see how much those two enjoy being in those scenes it's going to come out in the improv it's going to come out in rewrites it's going to come out in everything they do mm -hmm. and just lead to beautiful beautiful scenes and it led to three seasons of staged yeah yeah which, which uh, i need to watch i have not mm -hmm. watched that one yet. yeah i have tried to find it the only way i can find it is through britbox and i'm uh, not paying the brits a, anything it's available on amazon but i think you have to pay for it yeah you have to pay to britbox and i ain't paying brits anything you know why axel you know what you did 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't pay me it's about for those it either. potatoes, isn't it? <laughs> yep. Again. Um, actually, there there was a, a joke I actually saw the other day. Um, somebody on David Tennant's Wikipedia page had actually updated his uh, his known partners and put uh, um, Michael Sheen in the list. <laughs> Seems legit. George yep. Tennant refers to him as David's other wife on Twitter. <laughs> I love that. I yeah. Love that. And somebody said something to Neil Gaiman about, like, how do you feel about being the cause of this? And he said, like, the person who invented chocolate and peanut butter. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mr. That is Reese. the perfect response. Yep. <laughs> Two great tastes. It tastes great together. I love the fact that he was working on the Hershey lot at the time he invented it. Mr. Reese was working on the Hershey's compound. That's true. You said lot, and that threw me for a second. But yes, it's true. He was an employee. He was an employee of, of Hershey. He was let go, but still living on the property, was selling his product to employees of Hershey. Yes. And then Hershey made the best choice ever to walk in and instead of shut him down, said... Okay, this is a good product. You're going to use nothing but Hershey's chocolate, and you're going to sign right now that all of your cups are going to use my chocolate, and let him have his own company and everything. But that's that's how it came to be. Yep. I just watched a, I just watched a documentary about that uh, last week. You know. So. So how how does Tiberius Q Toblerone fit into all of that? <laughs> uh, he was up in the mountains, and uh, yeah, looking out at the view, and went, I can make chocolate shape <laughs> he was yodeling he was practicing his yodeling up in the <laughs> up in the alps so that was a segue <laughs> <laughs> that was more of a hoverboard but uh <laughs> no it doesn't hover i won't call it a hoverboard <laughs> So I think we can call that an episode. I think we have enough material for a full podcast. So I am going to throw to Greg. Yeah. Well, thank you for tuning in to Watch Party Gaming. We have hey. just done season one, episode one of Good Omens, the end or the beginning, the beginning of the end, the beginning of the end. So we're at the end of the beginning of the end. So we'd like to thank Michael and Jen at our watch party global headquarters thank you michael and jen Jen. thank you michael and jen thank you michael and jen home of our fine sister podcast watch party wheel of time watch party lord of the rings and the watch party of ice and fire part of the global network we're taking over one uh geekdom at a time So if you want to get in touch with us, we're reachable at GameAndWatchParty at gmail.com. Drop us a line. We'll uh, be happy to take your questions and make a mailbag out of this yet. Uh, More uh, will be coming soon, uh, social media-wise, and you can find many ways to get in touch with us. So as always, we're signing off with the question of the episode. If you... We're a demon panel. What would be your animal familiar? Uh, so mine would definitely be a bearded dragon, because if I'm spending all eternity with an animal on my head, it's going to be Carlin. And we do, in fact, have pictures of you with Carlin on your head. 
Was Garland named after George? Yes, he was. Yes. He was a great dragon. I'm going to go with a cockroach because I aspire to be unkillable. I'm not sure about the wearing it on my head part. (laughs) 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 But like maybe one of those big Madagascar hissing roaches. (laughs) Ooh, there you go. Uh, I'm going to go for a raccoon for a couple of reasons. One, I always like Davy Crockett. And two, uh, chaos. I just want chaos and thievery sitting right on my head. Eliminate the need for a hat. It's true. They would. They do keep. Would keep your head warm in winter. This is true. Because you know, keeping your head warm in hell is one of those important things to. So your avatar is rocket. Is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'd do that much of a crossover in the MCU, but uh, just a raccoon in general. Just a nice, chill little uh, trash little panda. Yes. Well, if we're going for. Yeah, I'm going to go for toughness here. I'm going to go tardigrade. There you go. And also small enough to be unnoticed. You've probably already got them. They're all over my head. You have no idea. (laughs) I I will admit that my initial feeling is to go with a mythical creature like a griffin. But uh, I think that we have to go with things that were actually created that we know of. Um, I would probably go owl. Uh, mostly because I would love to, you know, have some aspect of flight to my demonness, mm-hmm. and the idea of being able to freak people out by just turning my head 360 degrees would be fun. <laughs> um, and I can say that you would look far better with an owl sitting on top of your head than with a whole griffin sitting on top of your head. That sounds like it would be difficult to balance. Kind of wrapped around the shoulders, mm-hmm. you know, wear it like a shrug. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it also depends on how big you are as a demon. True. Yeah. True. Or how small the griffin is. Yes. Yeah. We don't have scale models of what size a griffin. Like they were ferocious. They were this big. <laughs> well, maybe they, they breed. Maybe swarms. there's different breeds of griffin. Maybe you can get a teacup griffin. <laughs> a teacup griffin. <laughs> there were the chihuahuas of the mytholo- mythological world. <laughs> <laughs>